Welcome to the Anti-Gamers Podcast. This is episode number 118. I'm your host, Evan Minto, and with me, as always, is David Estrella. At TimeQX20XX, the two Anti-Gamers e-boys who are still not selling their own bathwater. All right, so we got to start here by you telling me what the fuck that is, because I just keep hearing people making uh, jokes about Gamer Girl bathwater, yeah. and I still don't really know what it is. Well, you know how people are extremely thirsty online? Yeah. yeah. Okay. I mean, so this they is, want to drink this water. Is, yeah. Got so we've it. arrived to the logical conclusion that we are just gonna drink bath water. Thirty dollars for bath water. Okay. You still haven't actually told me what this is. <laughs> what it is is that somebody who streams on Twitch and is extremely popular on Instagram or something has decided that they are just gonna manipulate their very horny, lonely fan base into buying bath water. It's kind of a stunt, and it's kind of real. So it's her bathwater? Allegedly. That she... Okay, so she... Allegedly. But the thing is, like, there are conflicting reports of people getting the bathwater, and it's, like, not even real. And then she has had this back and forth where she says that orders haven't even shipped, so people are lying. What did people mean that it's not real? How would you know if it was really her bathwater? Because you've got, like, horny scientists, I think, uh, (laughs) studying the contents. I mean, because, like, humans kind of let off dead skin cells, I guess. So if they find that in the water, then they're like, okay, it's 99% legitimate, maybe. Okay. It might not be Uh, even, like, her bathwater. It could, like, be her boyfriend's bathwater, and that'd be really funny, too. There's probably people who would be into that, too, actually. (laughs) That's a separate (laughs) grift. (laughs) Um, yeah, that's like some, it's some kind of cucking or something. I'm not sure how that works, but yeah. <laughs> there's something there. Someone is into that, I'm sure. I just want to, I'm just trying to think about the mechanics of this, though. So it's like she takes a bath. <laughs> it's not a game, and Evan. <laughs> she leaves the, yeah, I'm doing the meta game on the, the game. There's no design water, doc so. <laughs> on, on selling your bath water. You step into the bath, you, ba- you bathe. You finish, you don't let the water go and you collect it. You in don't a let the water, right, right. Yeah, like you don't drain it because that's it. a waste. That's money down the drain, literally. Literally. <laughs> uh, speaking of money down the drain, we need to get in on this grift, David. Our horny fans would also, I'm sure, yeah, love you know, to get a vial of our bathwater. I'm thinking eventually there'll be the rise of the e-boy, because right now the e-girl is very, uh, it's, it's new again. Like throwing your money away at somebody who, you know, at most, literally, will never you a shout out on their stream. Yeah. Like you donate two hundred dollars, and you're like, "My queen," and then she's all like, "Oh, thank you to uh, Rando Gamer sixty nine, and that's it. That's the whole interaction. Well, now you can have much more of an interaction. Now you can. Think I'm about not sure how much bathe. interaction we're are you, giving. What are people doing? Are they bathing in her bathwater? Are they smelling the bathwater? You don't want to know. Are they drinking the bathwater? You don't want to know because <laughs> the shipments haven't gone out. I mean, it could be mm-hmm. a little very elaborate troll and. There's actually no bath water to give out. She's just cashing in. She should sell an entire bath, like the full, you know, not not like a little bottle of it or something, but she should sell a bath's worth of water. I'd be really worried because you'd get really pruny after so many, so many baths. Like the human body can only take so much. That's true. That's real exploitation, right? Yeah. Just taking baths for money. You might drive the prices down too, because like if there's just too much of it, then you've got a surplus and you can't move it. It's going to start costing money. We spent roughly five minutes on this inane topic here, but we have some real things to talk about in this <laughs> show. <laughs> uh, we're gonna we're gonna talk about a little bit of uh, a little bit of video game news from relatively recently, and uh, we're gonna update you all on some stuff that we've been up to. We've been watching some anime, playing some games, and we've got some questions from listeners after that. So. With that, let's talk about the news. Okay, here. so we sold one gallon of bathwater. Now, technically, we have $200 in our pocket, hypothetically okay. speaking. What are we going to do with those $200? We're going to buy another Switch. Correct. We're going to buy a Switch, uh, a brand new Switch Lite, which comes the out September Nintendo 20. Nintendo Switch Lite. Uh, yeah, this is the handheld version of the Switch, which is kind of funny because the Switch already. was designed to be yeah. handheld already, basically. <laughs> it's more handheld. If you thought it was lacking in handheld before, now it really is because it has no TV mode. You can't dock it. Right. It is more like a classic Nintendo handheld. Like a, It's basically a Game Boy Advance. Or a PlayStation Vita done by Nintendo. Yeah, or, or a Vita. Uh, yeah, Vita yeah, yeah. people are so salty over this because it's essentially the same Cause, idea. 
Yeah, because the 3DS people made fun of Vita people for years, yeah. and then Nintendo's like, our brand new handheld is the Vita. I think it's just funny. I mean, I, I really it's, like yeah. the Vita too, but you can't even take the Joy-Cons out, and that sucks because it's got a real D-pad. Right. That's the that's the thing about it that is interesting to me is there are no Joy-Cons. The What would be the Joy-Cons are just attached directly to the screen so it basically you know you can look up photos of it if you haven't seen it already but it basically just looks like a handheld mode switch but with everything grafted together into one single unit as opposed to being separated you know separate pieces so that seems kind of weird because there are games that are designed to be played with the joy cons that like mario odyssey I know, like they listed Mario Odyssey do? as something you can play on it. You can play it with without the separate Joy-Cons, but there's actually some moves in it that you can't yeah. even do without the Joy-Cons. It's weird. <laughs> and also that trailer, that trailer showed uh, a lot of Mario being played on, on this new Switch Lite thing. And there's no, there's no, uh, none of the motion controls either, I think. Or are there? They actually, I actually don't know if they said that. There's no rumble. Yeah, yeah, there's no rumble. I imagine there's no motion controls. I hate, which I, is interesting. I really hate how in these trailers they just show people picking up the the, uh, the switch and <laughs> throwing it in good. their bag and then going on yeah, a bike yeah. ride. <laughs> I'm afraid just yeah. to take it out of the dock. Yeah, they, they leave out the part where I take the switch out of the dock and then strap it into its baby carriage <laughs> of a case that I have for it and then gingerly put it into my bag. <laughs> I do take it with me pretty frequently, but it needs to go in a case. Like, you can't just throw it in your bag. It's going to, no. even if it doesn't do, you know, like, I'm, I would be worried about the Joy-Cons sort of snapping out of their their casing and stuff. But uh, there's other stuff, too. Like, the screen could get scratched. You could scuff up the buttons and the analog sticks. Like, it's just not good to toss it in a bag. <laughs> Don't do that, everybody. That's my PSA for today. Also, what's great about this trailer, which we uh, we actually just watched. I didn't watch it when this thing first got announced. I just I love that they keep advertising the switch as this thing that you can take anywhere. And it's you know, I, I get it's whatever it's advertising, but it never stops being funny to see the situations they put people in with the switch. So in this trailer, some kids are playing it at the skate park. They are playing it while rock climbing, like at a rock climbing gym. That one is really good. Like nobody, I've I went to a rock climbing gym once because I'm in San Francisco and every single human being in this stupid city rock climbs all the time, and somebody dragged me along. And uh, there's nobody at the rock climbing gym who's playing their switch. That's not happening. No. <laughs> not having at the skate park. I, mean, I think you're allowed to play it in space. Like, there's got to be some sort of regulations. With <laughs> you skip to the end. But yes, there's an astronaut playing it in space, which is, I think, a little bit of self-awareness from Nintendo <laughs> that this whole concept is really goofy. Comes out September 20th. It's going to be $200. Uh, it has three colors. It, this part is great because the colors, only thing I could think of, I probably should have done a tweet about this, is that they're the colors of the, uh, or at least they remind me of the colors of the, uh, the Shinesmen. You ever watch that OVA? Shinesman. I've heard of it. I've never seen it. It's like the Super Sentai parody where they all have stupid colors. So the only one that's a regular color is Red, who's the leader. But then the, the whole joke is it's like sh um, Shine, which is a business person, right? And so they're all, they're like a corporate sponsored Super Sentai team. And so they're sort of focus tested and their colors are all really shitty boring colors <laughs> <laughs> so there's red and then let's see if i remember the other colors there is gray which is one of the shinesmen <laughs> there's moss green salmon pink i actually don't remember there's another there's like a, one more but yeah uh, like colors so that you wouldn't be ashamed to wear on your tie right at work. <laughs> There is something really funny about yellow, gray, and turquoise, just because they they feel to me like borderline shinesman colors. And especially because like they're doing what like an orange and purple Joy-Con, right? Those seem cool. Those are you know really so, bold colors. Yeah. So the old Switch gets all the cool colors, and then Switch Lite, because you're you're meant to be taking it outside. I think they're they're making it so that it's not embarrassing to take out. But then people that <laughs> get embarrassed point. about their Switch colors anyway, it's like. They, they're going, they're going about it the wrong way. Yeah, you need to show up at the skate park 
proud of your switch colors. Oh God. I do think maybe the the yellow is maybe kind of fun because it's maybe a reference to the uh, yellow's all right. The like, what? Yellow's all right. It kind of reminds me of the Game Boy Pocket. That's what I was gonna say. Or the Game Boy Color had a yellow version, yeah. right? That's what I remember. Yeah, I think I had the yellow Game Boy Color. Anyway, it's all an excuse because Pokemon's coming out in a couple of yeah. months after that, and you know that they need to just move a cheaper Switch because I don't think anybody wants to jump on what is it three hundred. For the regular? Yeah, it's a little expensive, and especially, I think, for kids, right? It's an easier sell for their parents to pick them yeah. up a cheaper Switch. So to wrap up here, David, the question is, are you going to pick it up? Are you interested in getting no, the dude. Switch? No, dude. I still haven't had, like, the, the dollar per hour value of my Switch yet. <laughs> I'm, I'm in the same boat. I like the idea of it. If I had unlimited money, and if it had a really good syncing system where I could you know, play my games seamlessly between the two switches, then I would probably get both. But it's marginally better for handheld play, probably, than the current switch. I like playing on the TV anyway. Yeah, I like I like having the one switch that I can move back and forth. That was the appeal of the console. So I don't think I'll be getting this. It looks really cute, though. Yeah, I'll probably get like like the third revision down the line so I can play Pokemon. (laughs) I, I might buy a um i might buy you know whatever like some later version of the switch because i really like the console it's like i like the console so much that i would consider actually buying it twice if there's a really good revision yeah later. yeah they've they've played that trick on me for the ds so yeah like, i <laughs> right, can't right, really say too it's just the ds light was really nice the ds light was really good yeah yeah all right let's move on here we've got some anime and games we got to talk anime. About. david i'm going to start with you I'm going to start with you because you are finally, you're back in business. David is watching anime, everybody. The, the boy is back in town. And I blame Evangelion. <laughs> the single boy. Yeah. I blame Evangelion, although we're not doing always, that one yet. Always blame Evangelion. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's just, it's easy to blame it for everything. I'm watching Samurai Shampoo, which is a Manglobe yeah. show. Manglobe isn't around. But yeah, well, think, technically, think it's, technically, it's a man disc but NASA has got you convinced that it's a man globe. That's oh, fine, I God. guess. Get out. <laughs> Podcast is over. <laughs> I walk. <laughs> I'm going to go record with ONR. Yeah, those round earther ONR people. So you're watching Samurai Shampoo. You Have you seen this show First before? First time since high school. Did you watch the whole thing in high school yes. or you just watched bits and pieces? Okay. No, I watched the whole thing. And I definitely remember it a lot better looking in high school than i do now it yeah, is it's an a, ugly I, show now well that's look you're watching a manglobe show dude i believe it has kazuto nakazawa character designs and kazuto nakazawa does not make attractive character designs like i'm watching like an early manglobe show so it's like people didn't really know how computers worked then either mm. and the worst part is i think it has some good moments and some really bad moments it's like a very mixed bag it's shinichiro watanabe i don't think i mentioned that yet yeah, director so like, of Cowboy Bebop. Yeah, imagine like Cowboy Bebop, but with samurai and not well, that, space. That's the thing about this show is it was very explicitly framed as the next Cowboy Bebop, right? Well, yeah. I still hear people mention it, you know, in the same breath. Yeah. Because it's, it is a very similar concept, right? It's like, mm-hmm. okay, we're going to take some kind of genre film. In the case of Cowboy Bebop, it, it's, it's like westerns, but also sort of specifically the sci-fi. space western thing. Yeah, sci-fi, space western. And then we're going to graft some kind of musical genre onto it, right? So jazz for Cowboy Bebop. Right. And in this case, it's rap music grafted onto, uh, or I guess depends on how you (laughs) split hairs here, hip hop or rap, right? Like spliced onto samurai movies, which is part of the reference in the name, right? Is the shampoo is supposed to sound like shampoo, but also uh, chambada, I think. Yeah. supposed to reference, right? I had no idea what a shampoo yeah. was for like the longest time. And then yeah. <laughs> like 10 to 15 years pass. And I'm like, oh, okay. I can kind of see what they were trying to go for here. Uh, so yeah, it's like, it's a very shaky kind of show, but I think it still has some charm. Cause like, it's essentially guys trying to do like, get a second wind out of the, a cowboy bebop esque episodic show. Uh, it doesn't always hit the mark, but it's got a lot of high points too. From yeah. Episode there's a bunch episode. of, bunch of very good episodes i i haven't watched this in a while but i did review it for otaku usa a couple years ago and so i went back and rewatched it and there's episodes that absolutely stick out to me like the 
on the comedy side of things, there's the baseball episode. Have you gotten to that yet? Oh, I only got halfway, which is like, you know, when the halfway mark reaches in one of these shows and they do like a mm-hmm. very story centric backstory yeah, yeah. kind of episode. So I did. We didn't talk about the characters. So I kind of wanted to mention that real quick because I feel like the characters are maybe some of the strong, like the strongest point yeah, in the show. Yeah. It's a unit of three three companions traveling through Japan. You've got Mugen and Jin, who are the two samurai. Jin's the serious guy, and Mugen is kind of like the wild card. And Fu, the girl who hires the two guys after saving them from the first episode. And now they're just on the road looking for this guy who smells of sunflowers. Right, the samurai who smells of sunflowers, which I don't think she describes. She's looking for him. But I don't think she tells anybody why at the beginning. Yeah, right? she's very secretive because it's, you know, it's an episodic show and you only got to give like a few nuggets of <laughs> of the main story as you're going along. Yeah, and the core difference, like the, the thing that I think makes these characters so appealing is it's got a great contrast where Mugen is this kind of wild card, very, um, very kind of unkempt and, and, uh, and aggressive, right? And then Jin is a... It's like an anti-hero. Traditional samurai, kind of more, you know, serious. Um, and then Fu is not... And she doesn't... <laughs> she's not a <laughs> character with any combat training at all. She's like a waitress, basically, right? Right. She's kind of like the troublemaker that mm-hmm. kicks up shit and kind of gets the episode going as well. She's like the, the heart of the show in a lot of ways, right? Right, yeah. Yeah. And yeah, it's a, it's a good cast that bounces off each other and that sort of unlikely friends thing, right? Where they, they end up together and they sometimes don't get along and split apart and then come yeah. back together. I think it's really great because they don't get along more often than they actually do. Mm-hmm. And they just right. kind of fight in like in fighting all the time. But there's something about, I think, like their personal values that kind of keeps them together. There's like, I wouldn't really say like a code of the samurai or whatever, because there's almost like none of that. Jin is kind of on the run because he killed his master. And Mm. Mugen is also pretty much a criminal. And Fu, I think, what was it? Like she burnt down the the restaurant that she's working at. So she doesn't really have anywhere to go. Yeah, I think so. And uh, remind me what time period this takes place in, actually. Edo, Edo period. I'm forgetting, is is this, does it take place in a time period where... Isolation. Okay. So the, the, yeah, right, the right. Are closed. That's why there's the thing with the the baseball episode later, where the Americans show up and try to beat there was, them in baseball. There was also yeah. the gay uh, Danish prince episode. Yes. Yep. Yep. Yeah. But I I I couldn't remember it, the Edo period is before like the period where the samurai were sort of in decline, right? That's the Meiji period, I think, where that happened. Mm-hmm. No, because there's still like samurai around and they're being yeah. employed by people. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. I should mention, I'm watching the dub. Oh, cool. Yeah. The dub, the dub is really strong for how early it is. It was one of those uh, Adult Swim shows, right? And I feel like a lot of those got decent dubs. Yeah, I think not, there's just not something that about adults, it. Adult Swim didn't dub it, but I just, uh, for I do kind of feel like a lot of those shows, maybe uh, it's a, maybe a chicken and egg thing. Like they either got on TV because they had a good dub or because they were aiming to put them on TV, they, they put a lot of effort into <laughs> giving them pretty decent dubs. Yeah, I don't know. I'm, I'm afraid I'm going to become a dubs guy because I ended up watching the Netflix Evangelion dubbed. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. I only watched some of that dub. And we will be talking about that. Yeah, we all become the thing that the we show. most hate. A <laughs> dubs respecter. <laughs> so, speaking of the time period, something that's also cool about this show that I remember... It's really interesting is that it's deliberately anachronistic. So there's elements of modern yeah. culture and stuff and music that's integrated into it. Like there's aren't there characters who like beatbox and stuff? Yeah, there's the uh, the beatboxing. I don't even think he's like a samurai. He's just kind of like a fraud. There's uh, I think that there's a handgun in there. Mm-hmm. Handguns uh, might have existed. And of course, the all the all the music as well, which is right. I feel like the music's the strongest point regardless of how bad sometimes the animation looks and how Mm -hmm. some episodes don't really hit it out of the park but i feel like the music has been really good throughout because they got a lot of they got a lot of the um actual japanese hip-hop artists to to produce that soundtrack for them 
and it's a lot of music that they put in. I think that they had to put out like three separate soundtrack releases. Oh wow, yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of music in there. And they might only use like a few seconds of a song in, in any given episode. That's something that Shinichiro Watanabe is is obviously a big focus of his work, right? And a lot of in a lot of stuff he serves as the music producer, not even just in things that he directs, mm-hmm. right? I think in Michiko and Hachin, he was the music producer for Sayo Yamamoto's show. So obviously a big focus for him is, you know, curating these soundtracks and stuff. Uh, actually, Sayo Yamamoto is worth mentioning because I don't think she really worked much, if at all, on Cowboy Bebop, but she did work on a couple episodes of this show. Really? She's kind of, you know, a protege of uh, Watanabe. Sayo Yamamoto is the director of Yuri on Ice. That's what most people would know her for nowadays. And yeah, I I always kind of felt like, yeah, Samurai Champloo is kind of, it feels like where she really got her start under him as like a, you know, episode director and stuff. So you're talking about the music, right? And... Mm -hmm. I'm I'm wondering, are you watching this because of the Otakon thing? There's like a tribute to Nujavis at it. What is there? Yeah, <laughs> no. I would have figured that you were doing it as like a you know kind of prepping no, for Otakon. No, this is to me. <laughs> no, I just I felt like I have to start kind of I have to ease myself in and watch some stuff that I've already seen, but it has, it's been so long that mm. it might as well be like the first time that I'm watching it. I'm remembering a surprising amount, and then there's other stuff that I just completely forgot about. I feel like we've gotten some questions kind of from listeners before about, you know, a little bit about maybe burning out or, or, you know, staying in, staying interested in anime. And it's like a tactic, really. (laughs) Yeah, right. A a tactic is when you feel yourself not interested in stuff, like find things that you used to like or things that are closely related to it and try to just like focus on that and see if that can kind of rekindle your interests. That's worked for me too. It's been a whole healing process trying to get back (laughs) into anime. (laughs) Uh, Who knows? Maybe next, uh, next month you'll actually catch me watching something seasonal, but don't hold your breath. All right. Uh, Actually good transition from the music in Samurai Champloo. Let's talk about a game that I've been playing. I think I talked about this in a post-show segment on the Patreon, but I haven't talked about it on the main show. I remember you mentioned this to me, like, before you actually played it. Like, you said, yeah, this is one of the things that stood out from you in the uh, Nintendo eShop. Yeah, so Gal Metal, which is a a game from a designer who I'm not super familiar with, but I think you are at least a little bit familiar with him. Takfuji. Yeah, Takfuji. I think this is the first game of his that I've played. And I was really interested in it based only on the premise, which is high school anime girls play metal music to fight aliens. And I was like, oh, all right, sure. <laughs> right? Like, that's right. that's a weird, interesting, very anime premise. I'm down. I don't really like metal music, but I, I like music and I like playing music. And kinda, it's a rhythm game. It's a, it's a drumming game where you drum with the Joy-Cons. Kind of reminds me of like what somebody would have pitched uh, elite beat agents as yeah no i didn't even think of that but elite beat agents is a great comparison <laughs> yeah like weird anime kind of yeah alien rhythm but there's like a thing. story to, mm-hmm, to go mm-hmm. along with it i never beat that game i got so frustrated at like the very end i don't think i owned it but i played it on other people's ds's and i really really liked it yeah it was a trip elite beat agents yeah so Gal Metal, I absolutely love the concept. The character designs are done by the designer of... I, I don't think I wrote the name down, actually, but it's the same designer as Dragon Pilot, Hisune and Masotan, which is a show that I have a lot of issues with, but it looks great, and the character designs are really unique and weird-looking, and I, I'm a really big fan of those designs. They're kind of blobby in a way that almost looks like a... not not like a moe blob, but... I, I would almost compare them to like Peanuts characters or something like it looks very cartoony. You know, yeah. it kind of reminded me of what was it? Rhythm Heaven? Uh, I don't think I played Rhythm Heaven. I don't think you I didn't play Rhythm Heaven that. either. Wow. <laughs> you like missed out on like the whole genre of of like music kind of rhythm story ish games. Right. I'm not a big rhythm game person. Like I played some Guitar Hero and Rock Band. But as a as a musician, I've always found them somewhat frustrating the closer that they get to actual instruments because there's a bit of a frust it's like a like an uncanny valley thing (laughs) where 
they're close to playing a real instrument, but not quite. And they don't have the exact same kind of tactile feeling that you get from playing the real instrument. And that not starts to good. throw me off. <laughs> you're, too, you're too good for uh, fake video game instruments. Kind of. Yeah. I think it's a legitimate thing. You know, you're like playing a guitar and Guitar Hero can sometimes be weirder almost than playing a real guitar, <laughs> like playing the same thing on a real guitar. <laughs> so anyway, the I didn't describe the story of this game. Uh, basically, you are a high school boy who gets some aliens kidnap you and a and a high school girl and then basically transplant you into her body I'm not sure why that premise has to be there at all but like why you couldn't just play as the girl but for whatever reason it's like a body one-way body swap comedy and uh now you're in the body of this girl and she's in the metal club in her school and then you are i guess maybe maybe it's just because you have to learn to drum and that's why they wanted to have a premise where it's like she's not she doesn't you know she would already know how to do it if it were her in her own body mm. but you are playing music with her bandmates and uh, basically that is the only thing that can stop the aliens because the for whatever reason that is <laughs> unexplained until late in the game when they explain it with some goofy hand wavy anime stuff that's i think intentionally silly the metal music is the only thing that can push back the aliens it, it hurts them it's like it's like macross it's like how pop music gets the zentradi and the Meltrandi to stop fighting <laughs> The other key thing about this game that is cool in theory, but but gets pretty difficult, is that the drumming is freeform. So this isn't like playing Guitar Hero or something where there's a set bunch of, you know, patterns and well, the, whatever. There are patterns, but it's not like there's a set uh, bunch of like notes that you're hitting, right? You just have a song with a bunch of segments in it, and there's a a bunch of different patterns that exist that you can you can hit but you can play whatever pattern you want in whatever part of whatever song so you're mixing and matching them and it's it is actually closer to playing actual music right where you get to pick how you want to switch things up within the song see i think like the problem would be is how intelligent is the game at reading the pattern here's the the good and the bad the good is that it is actually quite intelligent at reading the or at, at scoring you for the way that you combine the patterns. So the the more I got the hang of this, the more I liked it. That basically you get points for playing a pattern once and you get some points for playing it a second time, but you get more points for playing a different pattern next, right? So you like the Tony variation. Hawk. Yeah, yeah. The variation gives you <laughs> gives you extra points, right? Yeah. So that encourages you to do what you would actually do when playing music, which is you'd want to have like a basically your verse or whatever, you know, whatever segment you're playing, you'd want it to have a, a ideally, you know, an interesting complex rhythm that might be composed of like two or three patterns alternating, right? And so that gives you more points to create this like more complex, interesting drumming sequence. Uh, and then on top of that, each segment has a, like if you, if it's something like if at least 70% of the segment features a, a pattern of the same type, then that segment gets a bonus because you kind of kept in style for that segment. And then you, I think, also get bonuses for varying the type of drumming patterns between each segment of the song mm -hmm. so or each section. So put together, that's actually really cool. It gives you a lot of opportunity for creativity and you can try all sorts of stuff out. And if you can kind of construct the song so that each section feels cohesive and different from the other sections, then you get a bunch of bonus points. So that's great. That's actually the closest I've seen a rhythm game come to giving you the, the feeling of creativity and the reward for like using that creativity well that you get from actually jamming with someone when playing actual music. <laughs> right. The problem is that it relies on the Joy-Cons picking up your drumming, yeah. which is really finicky. <laughs> yeah. Uh, they still haven't really perfected it too much. Like, I'm playing Pokemon Ultra Sun right now, and it's great until there was a segment in there where you have to control uh, a Pokemon with using, like, the gyro sensor. Mm -hmm. And I didn't realize just how not sensitive that sensor is on the 3DS. Like, you have to, like, kind of really just go full body motions on on the thing mm -hmm, to make mm -hmm. it actually register where you want to go and that's not fun 
because I can barely see the screen when I'm trying to like just motion myself into where I need to go. And there's no, there's no controls for that on like the actual, like I can't do control stick or buttons. I just have to do this motion stuff. Right. Yeah, it's it's pretty frustrating on the the Switch Joy-Cons. Like for really simple motions, it's fine, but the part of the problem is like the the Joy-Cons just can't pick up the level of detail. This isn't like a VR setup where it can tell where you are in space, mm-hmm. right? Cuz that would be that would be something, right? If it if you could sort of have there's a space, virtual space where the drum is and then when you hit that, it does a drum hit. But it it's just detecting it based on accelerometer or motion, right? So any any abrupt motion of the Joy-Con is going to cause a drum hit, even if it's not actually hitting at, you know, the virtual spot where the drum would be. I mean, think of it like the Joy-Cons are just uh, more sophisticated Wii remotes. Right. And on top of that, there's the fact that, and this is the thing that throws me off with any of these games, is that you're air drumming. And a big part of playing music is that you get real tactile feedback when you do things right like when you're right. playing drums you, you hit can the hear drum. it and you can feel it well and you and the the drumstick bounces off of the drum when you hit it right so there's all these aspects that you can use to create a rhythm because you can sort of counteract the the basically recoil of the drumstick right i'm not a i'm not really a drummer by trade but like i can drum a little bit and there's there's a lot in there that in you know where you're responding to the actual tactile sensation of hitting the drum and that's just not here and then on top of that, it's just, it's relatively imprecise. So it's it's easy enough to do simple rhythms. But once you start doing stuff where you have to like quickly hit the same, you know, with, with the same hand multiple times in a row, it just, I couldn't even get it to register those rhythms at all, let alone register them on yeah. time with the beat. Sounds rough because it's not really a way to make it easier without making it also boring. Right. Granted, I'll say like the more I spent some time with it, I got kind of frustrated and I was like, I'm going to make this work. I'm going to figure out a way, <laughs> right? Which I also did, by the way, because I complained about it on Twitter and Tak Fuji found it because I guess he's got like a search going, a saved search for Gal Metal and responded to me and sent me a a website that people had made with advice on how to get better at Gal Metal. <laughs> so... And I was like, all right, if if Talk Fuji is going to track me down and try to help me get better at the game, I should put in a, you know, a little bit more effort in here and see what I can do. Yeah, he's a and, cool guy. Like, yeah. He makes the effort to actually go out there and see how the people that are playing his game are doing. So I, I, I did try a little bit more, and I do think if you kind of ignore the more complex rhythms and say like look the joy cons aren't are not going to pick that up you can still have some fun varying the simpler rhythms because again the the scoring system and the the stuff that encourages creativity is pretty nice and so even if you're doing simpler rhythms you can have a lot of fun combining those and you know you basically it's a meg white simulator and it's going to be impossible to play on the switch light yeah you i was thinking about that you can't play it on the switch light Oh, you know, you can actually, but can you? not with the Joy-Cons because there are other options that I tried, but I didn't really like them very much where you can play with buttons or with uh, the touchscreen. So, oh, okay. Yeah, you can. All right. Never mind. Scratch that. You can play it on the Switch Lite. It's just different. Yeah. I don't, I mean, I, I kind of want to write an actual review of this and just, you know, think through my thoughts a little more. We were talking about more posts on that website of yours that's called AnnieGamers.com. That's right. No hyphen. But I would, uh, I would say for any listeners, I would not necessarily recommend this unless you, if you really like metal music, you might be into it. Like if I liked the music more, I would have probably been more willing to sit through, you know, uh, you know, stumble through the, the drumming. But, uh, I guess, yeah, if you like metal and you really think you're going to, you know, you're going to get really into a drumming rhythm game, then this might be for you, but the the concept isn't enough i think to save the the clunky specifically the joy con detection which is just the the biggest problem it, it like that's the core of the game right is like how well do the joy cons pick up your drumming <laughs> we had some other stuff but we are trying to keep this not too long so we'll probably save those for future episodes i have one more thing to talk about also anime i've been watching some anime i've been watching a fair amount of anime but most of it is just last minute for work panel research yeah for work <laughs> yeah actually some things i watched that i won't have time to talk about include wolf's rain been finally watching that 
Kare Kano? You know, I never watched all of Kare Kano, David. What? I own it, just never finished it. Yeah. What the hell? That is a very inconsistent show. <laughs> we should probably talk about that when I finally finish Damn. it. Damn. Oh, I'm not yeah. rewatching it. Well, sure, but you can talk about it from memory, hopefully. Yeah. I mean, I might, I might like watch a few episodes, especially. It's like there's episode some 19. that were good. There's some that are good. You should watch the, rewatch the Imaishi episode, which I, I skipped to it because I needed to watch it for a panel, and it's very good. The one with all the paper cutouts. I think that's the one I like. Yeah. So what I did finish, and I mentioned, I think, in the Discord, and I, I, I wanted to kind of talk about it a little bit on the show, is Die Buster. Die Buster. Die Buster. Now, see, Die you Buster. can do the song, because I've never, I've never watched it. <laughs> well, that's the, that's the eye catch. They, yeah. they say that in every eye catch. Man, more things should have an eye catch, even if it makes no sense. Yeah, even if it's a six-episode OVA that has no even, business having an eye catch. Even if it's titled, like, My Mom Can Hit Multiple Critical Hits. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> the hottest new isekai? It's not an isekai, right? Yeah, it's absolutely an isekai, dude. <laughs> I thought he's just in... I thought they're just playing a game. But are no, they, they, actually... get, they get thrown into a uh, MMO, I guess. MMO okay. world. Generic MMO world, but mom's there, too. And she can hit multiple critical hits. MMO stands for Massively Mom Online role-playing game, right? Yeah. <laughs> okay. An M-O-M-R-P-G. <laughs> oh, there it is. Ah. There it is. Got it. I hope it. that they okay. made that joke in the show. They better make that joke. So, anyway, Die Buster is the sequel to Gunbuster? Kind of? Kind of. Kind of sequels. So... I was not aware of this, so I don't want to tell any. I don't. I don't want to reveal. It's been years since this came out, but I don't want to reveal this to anybody. But I will just say it appears to be a sequel, but it's maybe not a sequel. It's maybe uh. something slightly different that is revealed in literally the last ten seconds or so of the show, <laughs> and it's the reveal at the end of it is basically worth the price of admission. Like it's it's if you've seen the original Gunbuster, it is it's it ties in very nicely. Have you seen original Gunbuster, David? That's Absolutely, the yeah. Okay, we're good. That was I was worried you were not. I I don't think we've talked about it before, <laughs> so <laughs> I'm surprised we haven't covered it sooner. Yeah, uh, the original Gunbuster is great. How many episodes is that? Four, six, six. Oh, it is six. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's been a long time since I watched it. It was would have been college. So the original Gunbuster is sports shoujo mixed with giant robots basically right so it's these two girls who are training to pilot giant robots to fight back alien invaders it's like sort of hard sci-fi mm -hmm. but also to some degree the gunbuster is like a super robot right yeah part of the appeal of the original is that it has this escalating sense of scale so if you're a newer fan and you haven't seen it the easiest comparison is something like Gurren Lagann, which is obviously inspired by stuff like Gunbuster. Well, but maybe not like that sort of row, row, fight the power attitude of Gurren yeah, Lagann. Yeah, it's, it's, it's way less cartoony and silly than Gurren Lagann. Like, like, Gunbuster has comedy to it, but it is actually a pretty serious it a little show. Soapy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, true. Yeah. That's kind of part of the shoujo thing, I think. Right. So, so, and it's not about, like, men as, like, men that they're attracted to. It's like, dads <laughs> it a little is very bit, little dad core dads and also smith torin you know yeah never forget so yeah the original has this sense of scale where basically the the characters are being shot out into space at like the speed of light and so there's this time dilation thing and there's this great element of it where things are just getting bigger and bigger every time they come back to earth where it's like oh we have a big space battleship and now it's like we have a space battleship that's half the size of the earth Right. I mean, it might have been a trip then, but I think now that uh, Interstellar came out, a lot more people mm. would be kind of familiar with sort of ideas like that. Right. So Die Buster takes place in uh, at least what appears to be and maybe is. Again, I don't want to reveal the specifics of it. Uh, We're really dancing around this. I know the far flung future <laughs> where humans have like settled way out into the solar system. So like the. This is like a minor reveal because I don't think they say this until the end of the first episode, but the first episode takes place on Mars. So there's like a, a cute little reveal where like I don't think they say that it's on Mars unless I missed it. And then only at the end of the episode do they like go up into space and someone mentions that they were on Mars the whole time. 
and it was just not what? mentioned. Yeah. <laughs> this one, what's what's great about Die Buster is that, you know, it, it is actually very different from Gunbuster, which is cool, right? I like that it's not just rehashing it. What it's very similar to is Fooly Cooly. It is basically, it is the real Fooly Cooly 2. Instead of that, you know... Yeah, that's such a cursed phrase, Fooly Cooly 2. <laughs> but it, effectively, Die Buster is the actual Fooly Cooly 2. It's directed by Kazuya Tsurumaki, director of Fooly Cooly. How many years in between productions for those two? Just a couple years. It was like three wow. years later. All right. Yeah. So it is really like the the spiritual successor to it. Same director, same writer. It's produced at Gainax, so same studio. A lot of the same staff, a lot of the people who went on to found Studio Trigger, who worked heavily on Fooly Cooly, also worked really heavily on Die Buster, including uh, Masahiko Otsuka, Sushio worked on it, uh, Yoyo Shinari did some work. Also, Shigeto Koyama, who's a big part of Trigger now and did the designs for... Uh, for the mechanical designs for like Darling in the Franks most recently, for Star Driver, Hero Man, uh, and now he's to do the designs for Promare. So he did the mechanical designs in this and they look very Koyama. They have the thing where he makes robots that have human faces. And it's like totally that all over the show. <laughs> in in a lot of ways, it is the trigger patient zero, right? Like Fooly Cooly has a bunch of trigger people, but Die Buster is where they all really showed up. And like that's where most of the people, the key people who went on to, you know, make Gurren Lagan and Panny and Stocking work together for kind of the first time. And so the energy this show has is very much fully cooly energy. It's it's wacky and cartoony and doesn't really take itself very seriously. So in that sense, it's very different from Gunbuster. It has scenes where things are more serious, but they're almost a little bit incongruous because they're matched up next to the Fooly Cooly style silliness of the show. Uh, and the basic premise is it's kind of cribbing from the original. So there's a girl named Nono who wants to be a like a robot pilot or a space pilot. And she meets this other girl, Laluko, Laluku. It's L-A-L apostrophe C, you know, future names. Everybody's got weird names. <laughs> It's like the stuff in, uh, you ever see Royal Space Force where everybody's got weird names because oh, it's the future? Yeah. <laughs> Nono starts calling Laluku her Onei-sama, which is a, a reference to the original where there's the um, Noriko calls, what's her name, Onei-sama, her older sister character. Ah, uh, the blue hair girl. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And then it's, you know, she ends up piloting a gun buster, a buster machine, and then... Uh, or, or trying to pilot a, a Buster machine, and then the uh, and and she's like part of this team with Lalaku and a bunch of other Buster pilots, and it's does some very similar stuff to the original. They go off and they fight aliens, and things get you know bigger and bigger and more and more absurd, but with a slightly more comedic touch to it. But you, there are things like a giant woman the size of uh, larger than the Earth uh, fighting off a monster <laughs> the size of Jupiter, that kind of thing. Well, is this episode two? Uh, I think it's episode four or five, but yeah, it definitely, it feels like, you know, a bridge in a lot of ways between the, between the original Gunbuster and and something like Gurren Lagann, right? Like taking that scale of Gunbuster and making it a little sillier and a little bit more over the top. I will say it looks great, you know, really nicely animated, tons of really exuberant animation from that same crew that's kind of, you know... You know, that it's like a different generation of Gynax people where they were getting a little bit more, a little less self-serious, I think, than the original Gynax crew, where they were a little more willing to make stuff that was cartoony and exaggerated compared to some of the, you know, the original Gynax crew is a little bit more like, we're making hard sci-fi. We're like really <laughs> extreme sci-fi fans. It doesn't always make sense, but it's a lot of fun to watch. And if you like Studio Trigger, I mean, this is, yeah, you got to watch it. <laughs> like, I'm, I'm, I would be surprised... If anybody who likes, you know, Gurren Lagann or Kill La Kill or, or any of that stuff uh, would watch Die Buster and not find something to really like in it. Oh, I should say it's six episodes and you can watch it all on Crunchyroll. I might as well just do that then. It's not listed as Die Buster. It's listed as Gunbuster 2. Aim for the top again. Just Gunbuster 2. Yeah. That's it for all the stuff we had on the list. Let's answer some questions. We have a question from one of our patrons. Old Hats of This will know that if you support our Patreon with at least $2 a month, you will get onto the priority question list, 
and uh, you know we'll answer your questions first. And and if we have too many questions for the episode, we will make sure to always get to the Patreon ones. Uh, so first off is Inazel. Oh, I think this is our only Patreon question. Uh, Inazel asked, kind of would like to hear what, if anything, you have been watching that's current. <laughs> that's funny. Uh, anime wise, I would assume. I mean, I want to watch the uh, new Fate thing. That's what I want to watch. David always wants to watch the new Fate thing. I got to sit down, though. I still have to watch the uh, Christmas special that they had for the new show that came. I think it was Christmas or was it New Year's? They always do their things on Christmas or New Year's. But mm-hmm. yeah, I don't even remember the title. It just it has a old old waiver from Fate Zero, but he's old. Oh, interesting. I, I remember yeah. waiver. I watched Fate Zero. Waiver's yeah. cool. I like waiver. So I'm going to check that out when I get a chance, hopefully. I am only watching JoJo's, but I'm way, way behind. Uh, I, you know, I kind of took a little bit of a break from simulcast and I sort of liked not keeping up with them regularly, but I should get back into them. We do host a podcast, so it's nice to be able yeah. to talk about that stuff. It's a, it's a shame when, you know, <laughs> I can only talk to Evan when it's like work. Mm-hmm. There's actually another one I, I didn't see in here from, from Inazel, from Zane. I'd like to hear some hot takes on Premiere. No spoilers. So first off, David hasn't seen it. I have seen it. I will say it was good, but I will have some more details on that in the upcoming episode that I recorded with Kyle Cardine from Anime News Network at Anime Expo, where we talked about Premiere having seen it like a day or two before. So that'll be up on the Patreon coming up. So look forward to that. That'll have full thoughts on Premiere. Also, unpopular opinion, Die Buster is greater than Gunbuster. And uh, also, will we ever get a third Gunbuster where Noriko comes back? Which, slight spoiler, I guess, for original Gunbuster, if you haven't seen that. You have to bleep that out. It's fine. It's not a big deal. So, Gunbuster, I have not seen in years, as I mentioned. But I'm, I, think I, I think Gunbuster is overall better than Die Buster. Because Die Buster is fun but doesn't exactly come together. Like the characters don't really get enough time together for you to, for it to really build up their relationship. It's kind of like, it's a little bit of noise compared to Gunbuster, but it's fun noise. So I think Gunbuster is probably better, but I really like Die Buster. That's not to, to put Die Buster down. And when we get a third one, well, Hiroyuki Yamaga keeps saying that they are making Gunbuster 3 at Gainax, but there's nobody at Gainax, so I kind of don't buy it. But supposedly it is, you know, it is something that he would like to do. We'll see if that actually ever happens. I don't even know who you would get to direct it now. That's kind of the thing. It's like the original was directed by Ano, and then the second one was directed by Tsudamaki, who's Ano's protege. And who do you get to direct Gunbuster 3? Whoever did Fooly Cooly, Alternative and Progressive. <laughs> oh, no. Let's move on to one question from a non-patron, an Anagamer staffer, as a matter of fact. It's Ink from Old Taku no Radio. A question about Samurai Champloo. Do you feel that the choice of music style adequately... Uh, oh, was the choice of music style adequately employed throughout the whole of Samurai Champloo, or was it a gimmick used in select moments? Absolutely. Which I can one? even listen to it out of the show, in the show. It's just, it's great. It's good enough to carry it. Hmm. I think it's a really cool mix. Yeah, I, I don't remember it being used like constantly throughout the show, but I might be just misremembering that. No, it's pretty consistently, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think it's a, great, it's a great combo, right? Like hip-hop and samurai stuff. It's, it's something that has been combined on our side of the, the Pacific too, right? I mean, stuff like the Wu-Tang Clan has combined that sort of like, you know, martial right. artsy, you know stuff with with uh hip-hop before and it's cool to see it kind of make its way back over and then get integrated into anime and hip-hop is big now in anime right i mean we've got it has a slight revival i think that you've got the uh the rappers in Devilman crybaby you've got the rap battle in zombieland saga there's rap idols who oh yeah like right boy idols yeah uh hypnosis mike is the rap idols yep. yeah 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 it's kind of cool Okay, that's it for the questions. And that's, I think, it for the show. Slightly short episode today. Before we head out, David and I are writing for Otaku USA magazine. I, what did I just write? Oh, I just wrote a feature about Code Geass, Lelouch of the Resurrection, which we talked about on this show. David, what are you writing about? Uh, I wrote about Initial D, which was just released Ooh. digitally. 
Yeah. Manga? Yep, manga. Nice. Multi-track drifting, uh, Eurobeat. Uh, there's All none of the stuff. Eurobeat actually in the manga, right? No. <laughs> That's only in the anime. <laughs> They don't have the lyrics to Eurobeat plastered all over the manga. They might in a later book, but not the first one that I read. Okay. I've got animeburgertime.tumblr.com, and I am not going to be doing Anime Burger Time at the upcoming convention that I will be at at Otakon. They did not accept it, but I will be doing four other panels. Let's see if I remember all of them right now. I should remember them because I'm doing prep for them right now. In defense of CG anime, which is me showing a bunch of cool CG anime and telling you why sometimes CG is good, actually. My other solo panel is Anime Goes to Hollywood, which I just did at Fanime, and I did a ton of research for. I've talked about that on the show. It's about Hollywood anime adaptations. And then I'm doing two panels with at sign KBNet, Nate AM, both about animation. We're doing animation and anime, which is a combined version of our animation panels. We did a similar version at uh, Anime Next and character animation in anime, which is a new one where we're specifically focusing on character animation. So that's going to be cool. And David is streaming video games every Saturday night on twitch.tv slash uwusmallbean. What are you playing? Persona 2. Okay. Don't really know anything about that except in Persona 5, Joker has a gun. It's just, I know that from Smash Brothers. (laughs) He's got a gun. That's all I know. Uh, you can check out show notes, blog posts, and a link to the official AnnieGamers Discord on AnnieGamers.com. Please go check out that Discord. We've got a bunch of cool people in there talking about stuff. Way to sell it, me. Just saying talking about stuff. Uh- <laughs> Anime, manga, and video games and Marvel movies. Yeah, we do have a Marvel movies chat in there. We talked about Spider-Man for a bit. We do now. We also have a Patreon. Support us on Patreon.com slash AnnieGamers to get into that priority question list and to access bonus articles and podcasts, including... Uh, that recent one that we did with the, or that I did with some of the guys from Colony Drop and my, as I mentioned before, my upcoming podcast about Promare with Kyle Cardine. So check that out. That's uh, $5 or more in the Patreon to get access to those podcast episodes. Email us questions, responses, and topic suggestions at podcast at anygamers.com or talk to us on Twitter at Vampvo, that's me. I forgot the at sign. Sorry, David. David's at sign QX20XX and at sign Anigamers. One word is the Anigamers account. I'm on Mastodon at Vampvo at Mastodon.social. And finally, episodes are available on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Music. And please leave us reviews on iTunes to help more people find the show. Thank you for listening. We will see you again in two weeks. And just a heads up for some future content in an upcoming episode, we are talking about Evangelion now that it's available on Netflix with special guest Victoria Holden, my former podcast co-host from the Crunchycast. I thought you were about to say former friend. (laughs) Former friend. David is my new friend. New nemesis. Yeah. Anyway, look forward to that. We'll see you in about two weeks. Don't drink the bathwater. One Annie Gamer to podcast, please. It's a good gag. I should do that. I did that when I went to see Spider-Man. Can I have one Spider-Man? A single ticket for the Spider-Man, please. Spider-Man. Spider-Man does whatever a spider can.